Jonah chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 as we wrap it up. So remember that we left kind of a, a cliffhanger last time. Back in verse uh, 4 of chapter 4, God asked Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry, just in general, primarily about the repentance of Nineveh? This time, uh, he asks Jonah if he's right to be angry about the death of that vine. And instead of staying quiet like he probably should have, like he did the first time he was asked a question like that, Jonah answered, said, absolutely, it's right, uh, and I'm angry enough to die, he tells him. And then we get to verse 10. So the Lord said. Now, if you look back through the book of Jonah, you're going to find that God had not said much to this point. He hadn't been real talkative. I mean, you go to some of the other prophets, uh, especially if, like Jeremiah, uh, Isaiah or, or some of those. Man, it, it, it's just all about, and God said, and God said, and God said, and you know, most of the book is, is God talking. Jonah's not like that. God says relatively little uh, in this book. He, he gave, gives two commands. Chapter 1, get up and go to Nineveh. Beginning of chapter 3, get up and go to Nineveh. And he asks two questions. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry? God has to repeat himself a lot with, uh, with Jonah, doesn't he? He sounds like a parent. Did you hear me? I'll, uh, let me say it one more time. Go clean your room. Right? That, that's, that's how it's sounding now. But this time, at this point in the story, God is primed. He's ready. He's geared up. He is, uh, he, he, he's got his, his speech. And it's not a long speech. He's going to get the last word in the book of Jonah, and he's going to get it in three sentences in English. And whereas we talked about last week the question being more of a gentle or tender rebuke, and then the second question being along those lines, we're about to lose that whole gentle, tender feel. It, it's, it's about to the point where God has had it with Jonah. Uh, I've, you know, I've, I've been nice to you. The fish didn't digest you. Um, I've, I've asked you nicely if, if you thought it was right what you were, how you were responding, how you were reacting to what's going on. Well, now I'm going to let you know what I really think about it is basically where God is at this point. So the Lord said to Jonah in verse 10, you cared about the plant. You cared. That word cared is not, it kind of, you know, Jonah noticed. This, is, this word is had compassion for the plant. This is deep emotional pity that Jonah had. Jonah mourns for this plant. Uh, it, I, I have in mind the, the family whose, you know, little child's goldfish dies. And so they stand around the toilet and they have a funeral service as they flush the goldfish because it was a big deal to the kid. This, this 25 cent fish, well, we've got to make a big deal because, well, Goldie's dead. That's the kind of reaction that we get from Jonah. But isn't it fitting? He's acted like a child the entire way through this story. 
to the point where God is having to repeat things to him twice. I mean, that is the image we have of, of Jonah is this, this petulant child who, who will not hear the command of his parent, will not uh, obey his parent, will not respond to his parent the way he's supposed to. And he's got uh, this, this emotional, this, this pity, this mourning over this plant that eventually grows to anger. He's mad that this plant has died. Now, clearly part of that is because he benefited from the plant's existence. So he, he's mourning that. But that's not just the word. He, he's not just upset that he's hot. He is actually showing pity on this vine. And God says, you cared about it. And you cared about your, your compassion, your concern, your, your, your pity are completely misplaced, he tells him. Because he goes on to say, uh, you, you did not labor over it. Uh, you didn't grow it. it. It came and went in a night. It, it appeared in a night and perished in a night. This wasn't Jonah's plant. This wasn't Jonah's garden. This wasn't Jonah's doing at all. He spent absolutely no effort on this, this vine. He didn't plant the seed. He didn't bring in the water. He didn't prune it. He, he did nothing to this plant. And as a matter of fact, the, the phrase um, appeared in a night and perished in a night is a, is a testament to the insignificance of this vine. It, 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 was, it only lived a day. It was nothing. It was a typical desert vine that grows fast and dies fast, especially when there's a worm that's been appointed by God to kill it. It was nothing. And here is Jonah sitting in the middle of a desert, mourning the loss of this insignificant vine. Do you have the image? I like the picture, and you can just just see it uh, up there behind the words. It, it, it's, it's blurred out here a little bit. But he, he's sitting under this vine... And I'm, you know, it's green in the picture, but uh, once it's gone, God's just asking him, do you see? Do you understand yourself? Have you, have you put, committed any self-reflection to what has just gone on over the last day? Well, Jonah had not, and he's not going to wait for an answer uh, or a response. God moves on. He says, you cared about this plant. Uh, you, you, it wasn't yours. You didn't do anything for it. But you cared about it. May I not care? I love it when God gets sarcastic. Now, because that's all this is. This is sarcasm from God. God is asking permission from Jonah to care about Nineveh. And he's going to make clear why he should care about it. But, but you just hear, you cared about this plant. Is it okay with you, Jonah? Are you all right with, with the idea here, Jonah, of me caring for people? You cared about the plant. Ridiculous. But is it not, is it not all right with you if, if I then turn around and care about people that, that I did make? That are in my image. The plant's not in your image. It's not yours. It's not in your image. It, 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 it is not special to you other than it brought a little relief from the sun. May I not care about people that I did make that are in my image, that are special to me. 
that are more important than this plant. As much as you cared about this, Jonah, shouldn't I care more about them? And God goes on to describe the people that, that he cared about in Nineveh, uh, more than 120,000 people, a bunch of folks. Uh, that's, that's a top end for um, the cities of this day. I mean, th- this probably included not just inside the walls. That's really too many for to, uh, uh, to have lived there. But we're talking about uh, the suburbs, the, the outlying areas. Remember, the, the cattle were, were forced to fast as well. So we're talking about everybody in the area. Jonah, should I not care about them as well? And God goes on to describe them as people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left. A lot of different theories on what this meant. Some have said, well, it's talking about children. Uh, There's 120,000 children. Well, that would put the population way, way, way higher than, than would have lived here at this time. So what he's... We're pretty clear he was talking about was people who were morally and ethically naive, not innocent, but naive. They had an incorrect understanding of who God was. They didn't know the true God. They knew their false gods. They knew their uh, their their God of uh, war and their God of of destruction and those kinds of things. They didn't know the the true God. They were morally and ethically naive, but. They were not innocent in their acts. And that's why judgment was coming. That's why judgment was sure. Because they were not innocent. These people, 120,000 of them, that don't know the truth. Don't know me, God is saying. They don't understand grace. They don't understand that if they would repent and follow me, that I would be their God and they too could be my people. Jonah, is it all right if I love people? Well, we look throughout the, the book of Jonah, and now we just kind of wrap up what we've learned. We look be, uh, throughout the book of Jonah, and we see that, especially in chapter 4, Jonah has the exact opposite of God, uh, I, I, exact opposite attitude of God throughout the chapter. When God is concerned about people, Jonah is not. When God is looking, expecting, wanting repentance, Jonah is not. When when God is showing grace and mercy, Jonah is not. When when God is thinking way outside of the walls of Jerusalem, Jonah is not. Jonah is focused inward. The entire story of Jonah, the entire book of Jonah, is, is about God's purpose... Of grace and mercy for all people. Excuse me. But Jonah would withhold that grace. Jonah would withhold that mercy. We have here God willing to hear anyone would, that would repent. We, we get there in the New Testament, right? Uh, any All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no limit to the grace. There's no limit to the mercy. Excuse me again. Goodness. Uh, So, but Jonah would limit that. Jonah, as we talked about over the weeks, he would limit it to just Israel. Just the people who already had it. 
God, don't give what what you have given to us to anybody else. They are not worthy of it for whatever reason, because they're not Jewish. So because they're not of our race, because they're evil, because they're worse than I was when I came to you or something along those lines. And what we see in Jonah and we see all the way through the person of Christ that God will work to save instead of destroy his creation. God will make an effort. God always makes the effort. We, we as Baptists believe that we can make no effort to save ourselves. We won't make an effort to save ourselves. We, we may think we can be good enough or something like that, but no effort will ever do it. God always takes the initiative. New Testament said, no one comes to me unless the Spirit draw him. God always takes the initiative. God always does the work. And the final work for salvation was done on the cross. But here, the work was repentance. The, the responsibility was for the people to respond to God in the manner in which he, he stated. And he will always send his prophet. He will always do the work to save instead of destroy if the people will give opportunity. Jonah did not like that. Jonah did not like the fact that it was available to everyone and not just those whom he thought worthy of receiving it. The question then becomes, and the reason, and, and Stan got to talk about it a little bit last week before we, we ended. The last question, Jonah ends in a question. Now, if you have uh, the NIV, it, it actually ends in the wrong order. Uh, the question is, the, the first part of the question is, may I not care? And then we end with people and animals. Now, your NIV probably has the, has the people and animals first and then the may I not care at the end. It loses some of its oomph when they do that. Because we are supposed to end not with God asking the question of a may I not care, but end with those about whom God is asking. Jonah is in the, the, the story, the, the book of Jonah ends with the reader thinking about who do I believe is not worthy of God's grace. Who am I unwill, unwilling to take the gospel to? Who am I unwilling to allow, allow, if I can allow them, allow God's grace uh, to, to, uh, to permeate? Who will I not be willing to share God's grace with? That question is for the reader. We don't get Jonah's answer. Jonah, hopefully if he's smart... He says, yes, you, you may care. He allows God to, to care. We don't get his answer because we are expected to answer. The reader is expected to answer. The, the question at the end is, is, is for us. We have to answer the question when we come to the end of Jonah. Will we hoard God's grace? Will we, as First Baptist Church of Sulphur, hoard God's grace? Will we come here... Enjoy the benefits of His grace. Enjoy the benefits of worshiping Him as a family. And then not go to the least desirable, least savable in our eyes, least ready in our eyes, and take that gospel to them. How will we answer that question? Will we hoard God's grace? 
Will we, in hoarding God's grace, decide who is actually worthy of salvation? Because make no mistake, that is the decision we're making. When we choose not to get outside of our four walls, when we choose not to make the changes necessary, when we choose not to, as, uh, or as when, we, when we choose to, uh, as Dr. Uh, Brewer talked about this morning, put on the church's gravestone, we've never done it that way before, when we make that choice, what we're saying is we will decide who's worthy of salvation because we're making decisions based on how we will get that message out. Well, we can't do the message that way or that way or that way. Then we are deciding that the ones that would be reached that way or that way or that way are not worthy of the gospel message. Now, we would say, oh, no, we're deciding for other reasons. Your reasons don't matter. It's the results that we need to talk about. And the result is people do not hear the gospel when we decide not to reach them with it. And whether we make this, con- this decision consciously or not, we make this decision regularly. We make this decision daily. We make this decision when we uh, go into a store, a restaurant, and maybe the, 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 the waiter or waitress or the person helping us is very easy to talk to. And it's, you know, that for some reason, the conversation just slides right into a topic, uh, the topic of church. And, and we can quickly d- d- uh, ask them if they would go to church anywhere. And they say no or yes. And we can talk about that. And, and maybe quickly that, dis- that topic goes to salvation. And it was just, wow, that was so simple. But what about those when, when, when the discussion is a little harder, when we actually have to work at getting that conversation around to gospel things? And let me tell you, as much as I wish it were the case, inviting people to church is not evangelism. That's inviting people to church. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with them. And that is what we are to be about as a, a people. So even though we, we may not even be thinking that person is not worthy of the gospel, we may make the decision, well, that person, they wouldn't want to hear the gospel. I mean, look at the tattoos. Look at the piercings. Look at the hair. Listen to the language they use. They don't care about spiritual things. I'm not going to talk to them. And, and, and you know, I, I know because I've used those excuses myself. This is not... Um, Research I've done in polling church people. That's my own life with me. They wouldn't care about that. I have made the decision. I have made a judgment call on who is deserving of hearing about God's grace. And, and, and I'm Jonah. As soon as I have decided that that person would not care or is not worthy, I'm Jonah. And I have hoarded God's grace and saved it for myself One uh, theologian put it this way. He said, as we seek to find out why. Let's see, am I in the right spot? Hold on just a second. Nope. Let me go back here. Let me ask this question. Yeah. Are we more concerned about gourds or souls? That's how one theologian put it. Jonah was more concerned about gourds than souls. What is more important to you than getting the gospel to every possible person in Sulphur? What will you just not agree to? Doesn't matter what might result in, in how it might result 
in a salvation, doesn't matter how it might result in the gospel being shared, what are those things that you say, well, if that's what it takes to get the gospel to people, I'm not talking about keg parties or I'm not talking about uh, unbiblical, immoral acts. That's, there, there's no return on that anyway. I'm talking about those things that you don't like. And I'm just, we're just, I'm not going to go for that. I don't care what evidence says, what anything says. I am not doing that. I am not going to go for that. I don't care how many people it would, he says, but it would reach for the gospel. What's your thing? We all have it. I mean, there, there, there are things that I just, you know, I, I, I've, you know I've, I've been to all the classes. I've, I've listened to the webinars. I've been to the seminars. I've read the books, and I like all the ideas, like all of them, until it comes to actually doing them. And then I have things that regardless of how much I like them, how much I think they're a good idea, I don't do them. Well, no matter a hill of beans that I like them, if I'm not going to do them. Well, maybe, maybe there are plenty of things you like that you're not going to do. Maybe there are a lot of things you, you don't like and you're not going to do. We are putting gourds before souls. We're putting our comfort before souls. We're putting our pity over what we might potentially lose. Placing our compassion on that and not on the people who will die and go to hell. So now the task for us is to answer this question truthfully. Will FBC Sulphur be a Jonah? Be an all-about-me church. You, you, I, I, I've got up there already, I think. Yeah, your answer tonight means very little. Because we can all say no. We will not be. And, and re- let's, let's remember that it gets back to an individual decision. We become a Jonah church when we all become little Jonahs. When we are all willing to put a gourd before a soul, then we as a church put gourds before souls. And we become a church that is impotent in sharing the gospel. Impotent in seeing people come to know Christ. No life, no vitality, no influx of of people who should absolutely make us uncomfortable. People coming through the doors don't make us uncomfortable. We're not reaching the people that need the gospel. That's That's really just the way it is. So we have to ask, will we be... Jonah, will we be an all-about-me church? Your answer tonight only matters six months from now. You can say yes tonight. You can say in your mind, I'm not going to be that person. Six months from now, you're still that person. Six months from now, we're still an all-about-me church. We are still coming into, hiding in our Jonah shell, our Jonah cocoon. I, I can decide every service. And let me tell you, I, I usually do. I'm going to be better. But have I changed? I hope so. But if I'm honest, most of the time, I don't. I just say I'm going to be better. Say I'm going to do something differently. Say I'm going to respond differently next time I go somewhere. Next time I have an opportunity to talk to somebody about church and the gospel, I'm going to do it better this time. And I don't. And I'm still a Jonah carrying caring more about my gourds than the souls God is putting me into contact with nearly every day. Are we going to do that? That's the question that has to be asked.
Andrew Murray, uh, a great man of, of prayer, as well as other things, said this, As we seek to find, find out why, with such millions of Christians, the real army of God that is fighting the hosts of darkness is so small, the only answer is lack of heart. Let me read that again. As we seek to find out why, with such millions of Christians, the real army of God that is fighting the hosts of darkness is so small, the only answer is lack of heart. The, the enthusiasm of the kingdom is missing, and that is because there is so little enthusiasm for the king. Millions of Christians. Why aren't we reaching millions of people? Because the enthusiasm for the king's people is not there for the king. We focus on gourds and not souls. Another poet, Thomas Carlyle, wraps up Jonah's story really well. And Jonah stalked to his shaded seat and waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonah's in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. We want God to do it our way. And we're waiting, just like Jonah, for God to do it our way. Jonah waited for God to do it his way. And Jonah is waiting, and rather, God is waiting for us. A host of Jonah's, the poet says, in their comfortable houses. He is waiting for us to come away to come around to his way of loving. It's a daily decision. It's 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 this morning, tomorrow morning, and tomorrow afternoon, and tomorrow night, and then, and then the next day, and it's every day. I am going to be more concerned about the souls than than, than my gourds. I'm going to be more worried about the fact that they're going to hell than the fact that I might get a little embarrassed if they don't receive my uh, my my explanation, my inquiries in a positive manner. Twenty seven thousand people in sulfur. I may know a couple of hundred of them. Maybe. So if that, you know, if one of those other twenty Six thousand eight hundred people that I might come into contact with doesn't like me because I brought the gospel up that one time I met them and maybe that one time I'll ever meet them. Oh, no. Am I so worried about my gourds that I'm worried that that person won't like me that you want to know my my burden in sharing the gospel? You know why I don't? Because I want people to like me. And some of y'all are thinking, ain't no way. No, really. That that it, it's it. I, I want them. To, I hate the idea of people thinking I'm a Jehovah's Witness type, a Mormon type. Just you know, yeah. I've got to get over that mess because I'm not Jehovah's Witness. I'm not spreading a false religion. I'm not Mormon. I'm not spreading a cult. I'm a follower of Jesus, and I have the only way to heaven. And I'm worried about what they think of me when I start talking about the gospel with them. Penn, uh, Penn Gillette is a, an atheist. He's a, 
comedian slash magician has a show in Las Vegas. Uh, has a TV show too. Uh, you may have seen if you flip the channels like I do, uh, where he tries to get quote amateur ma- magicians to fool him and his partner Penn and Teller. Uh, he is an avowed atheist. As a matter of fact, loves to, he, he, he fancies himself an intellectual. He has a YouTube show that he's done for years or a show on a couple different channels where he, he debunks myths and that kind of thing. But on, one day on his, his YouTube channel, he talked about a guy who came to his show in Las Vegas and then came after the show to get an autograph. Came up to him and said, you know, Mr. Gillette, I know you are an atheist. But I just want to share the gospel message with you. Of course, Penn says he's read the Bible and just doesn't believe any of it. Uh, but this guy said, I know, I, know you, I know that's what you think. I know that, that's how you are. But I would still like to share it with you. And, and he went into and, and shared the gospel with him. And Penn said, you know, that's not for me. And God said, well, I thank you for listening to me. And then on his YouTube channel, Penn, got, got on, uh, Penn Gillette got on there and said... Christians have a mandate to share their message. And this man shared that message with me, knowing I didn't believe it. Knowing that I would very likely not respond to it. Yet he shared it anyway, because he understands that if he's right and I'm wrong, he's got the only answer for me. And he ended this few minutes by saying... How much do you have to hate me not to share the gospel with me? This is from an atheist. And he understands our mandate often uh, better than we often do. And, And that was Jonah. How much did Jonah hate the Ninevites? It was so much so that he wouldn't share the gospel with them if he didn't have to. He would run the other way. How much do we have to hate people? And, and this, is, this is the burden for me. How much do I have to hate someone that I'm more worried about my gourds than I am about their soul? That's the question that's asked from the book of Jonah. And that's the question we end with and we have to answer ourselves. So, you know, you want some fun, go back and read it again, see what I messed up on. But you're going to still come to that question at the end. Where it asks, may I not care about people? And if God does, then what are his people going to do with that concern and that care? We're done early. Y'all have any questions? Comments? Still haven't decided what we're going to do next week. I'm pretty sure we're going to do just a four-week thing and start Galatians once e-groups are over. I just don't know what that is yet. Yes, Don? He asked if a uh, second chapter would be a prayer of repentance. It. Let me think back to when we were discussing that. He never, he never prays that. He prays um, for help, for rescue, but he never admits his wrong. So in that sense, I, I don't think 
uh, that, that is a true prayer of repentance. He, I mean, he, he even goes on uh, to say in verse uh, 6, you know, he, he's talking about how far he's sinking down and that kind of thing. Uh, I've been banished, blah, blah, blah. Verse 6, then you raised my life from the pit. Uh, my life was fading away, and, and those who, who cherish worthless idols abandon their faithful love. He admits the, 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 that God is the only one who can save him. Um, as for me, I will sacrifice to you, in verse 9, with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation belongs to the Lord. It's, it's very high praise. It's very worshipful, and it is never repentant. We, 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 because, and, and here's another thing, I think if it were repentance, we'd see a different Jonah in chapter 3 and 4. But we see the same Jonah in 3 and 4 that we saw in 1, even after all that. We see an obedient Jonah, but we don't see a repentant Jonah. We don't see a change of heart toward the people of Nineveh. Good question. Now's, now's your opportunity to stump me, and it's... Not hard to do. Yes, ma'am. That's good. Yes, ma'am. Her comment is, how can we, in answering this question, how can we go outside the church and show love when inside the church there's critical spirit, gossip, backbiting? We're not even showing it to each other. How can we show it out there? It's a very good question. And it needs to begin in our in each individual. Uh, and, and the reality is, we can't. But... Hopefully, as we meditate on our mandate to go out there and share the gospel, uh, we also have those opportunities to to meditate on on our internal unity and love for each other, and 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 stop the gossip and stop the backbiting, etc. So it's it's. Uh, I, I don't believe we can until. We, we, we fix it within, and that's a, that's a great question. Um, but that doesn't mean that, that we're exempt from the responsibility anyway. So, so we talk about both and. We talk about on Sunday mornings, uh, living called out, being a flock that's united under one shepherd. And then at night, we talk about what that means in Jonah for being uh, taking that unity and going out to the community with it, so we're we're we're, we're you know that game where you, to you and two people do your hands like this, and we and, and it kind of works together, and well that's what we're doing one on top of the other on top of the other, and eventually we begin to see changes. Uh, y'all watching the dam break in California, Oroville? Are y'all familiar with that? Has the news talked about it enough? I believe it finally broke. Yes, ma'am. I was watching 
some live stream. I, I couldn't hear anything, but it was water. It was, and actually the, the new spillway was broken. Um, it started with not a trickle, but it started with some water going over. And then, then as more water went over, it began to wash away erosion, right? Well, we can see that as a negative or a positive image. For us, we begin with, it's a person here and a person there, a trickle of, of unity, of, of, of love, and then it's a trickle of going out and, and, and a few more and until the dam breaks. And we realize our need both internally and externally. And it's just, it's going to take time. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Right. I, I would I would hesitate to say they have to love me first. They don't know me. Yeah. And then I guess maybe he was talking about a different situation. Okay. That, yes, ma'am. Um, right. But but I'll, I'll, I will take that even to a complete stranger and say if your situation immediately prior to sharing the gospel with somebody, talking with somebody uh, across the counter at a store, I can't believe those people, stupid people, ugly, I, we, we're going to get rid of them, I don't like them, and she, could you believe what they did? Hi, I want to tell you about Jesus. Well, that's not, you're talking about the same thing. Or, you know, the people who, and, and, and I don't know if the Baptists are bad about it, but I think we are, um, there are a lot of Baptists that will uh, eat at a restaurant and put this nice track on the, track on the, uh, on the bill with the, with the credit card slip, and we just want you to know about Jesus and put a dollar tip. Don't put the church's name on that anywhere, please. If you want to know about Jesus, give them a $20 tip. I mean, show love. And, and, and not, not whatever a dollar is. Um, so I think that those are ways that we can do that very thing, even with people we don't know. Our attitude, our, our reaction, that kind of thing. It's very hard to share the gospel with somebody when you've been cussing them out because your food's later than you expected. Anything else? I like Jonah. I think Jonah's a good book. I mean, if you like to be convicted and stuff. I know we all like that, right? All love having our toes stepped on. Another book? Galatians. In four weeks, we're going to start Galatians. Uh, and we'll do something while they finish up e-groups. And then we'll start Galatians. He does, and and, and she said it neat, it's neat through the, throughout the whole uh, the Old Testament. God continues to use sinful people. New Testament too. I, I mean, that that's the beauty of it that that we don't have to be perfect. And some of us are worried that we do. Well, I don't have the best reputation. I can't share the gospel. Yeah, you can, because that's part of your testimony. Part of your testimony is look. 
I still struggle with this in my life. And yet Jesus saved me anyway. Because I used to think I had no testimony. Uh, I, I, I believed that because I got saved when I was nine years old, and I never, I mean, I've, I've had a few alcoholic beverages in my life. I mean, that's, I tried smoking in high school and didn't like it. Uh, first time I smoked a cigar, it made me sick, so I was done with that mess. Um, so I never rebelled, really, against my parents. I, I never uh, went out and snuck out at night. I mean, I was a good kid, mostly. I think my parents would say that, maybe. Um, so when I got to be a college student, I'm like, I have no testimony. I hear about these people talk about how you know they were on drugs and, and, and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's not me. And I had someone uh, who uh, had been anorexic and bulimic and missed out on the Olympics in 1984 because of her, her issues. Uh, she was actually on the cover of Sports Illustrated in 1984 between, before the Summer Olympics. She was our gold medal hopeful. She said, absolutely, and not just me, other people in our college Bible study had this same opinion. She said, absolutely, y'all have a testimony because you are proof to me that God can save us from things. You are proof to me that when you give your heart to Jesus, he does change you. He does hold you. He does protect you. Certainly, we have to make some decisions on our part, but they saw in us that God can and does Pull you away from things that you shouldn't be involved in. And that went a long way uh, for me. But we're still sinful. So that is part of our testimony. I, I struggle in these areas. I understand what you're going through because that was me before I got saved or that was me after I got saved. And it's still a struggle for me every day. But I'm telling you that Jesus loves you anyway. And he doesn't reject you because you struggle with those things. That's a wonderful testimony. It's a horrible testimony if we tell people, Jesus loves you, but only when you're good. Jesus saved me, but I had to keep getting saved again because I kept doing the bad things. That's not the testimony we have. So, that's why he uses David and Moses and Peter and Paul and on and on and on. And Mary and all the folk groups from the 60s. Um, Peter, Paul, and Mary. I thought it was funny. Oh, you, you, I, I made Lenora happy with that one. Peter, Paul, and Mary. All right. All right, well, let's close in prayer. And uh, the, the other groups, as we talked about last week, we didn't make this clear last week. If you're waiting on somebody, they may be in there till 730. The, the, the uh, video studies go longer. So they may be in there till 730. Um, so I'll be here for a while. Uh, and some of you may be as well. But don't expect them to just come rushing down. All right, uh, let's uh, close in prayer, and we will go home, some of us. Lord, we do thank you, God, that if we are Jonah's, if we have been an all-about-me church, we do not have to stay that way. You, you left the book of Jonah in the Bible because you knew we would need to hear it, and we may need to hear it regularly. And it may be something that we constantly work on. It may be a, a daily effort and probably will for all of us because it doesn't matter our backgrounds or what we're currently involved in. We don't naturally, we aren't naturally obedient. So every day we can be a little of Jonah. But Lord, 
do not allow us to, to, to have a lifestyle of Jonah. God, may we be believers and then a church that puts souls before everything else. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that says whatever, whenever, to reach whomever with the gospel. And if it's uncomfortable, outside of our realm of vision, outside of our comfort zones, outside of our natural thought process, outside of our neighborhood, outside of our social, socioeconomic group, outside of our race, outside of our beliefs about morality, wherever it is, may we look at that individual and say that is a person made in the image of God, whom God loves, who deserves the grace of God. Uh, not deserves, none of us deserve it. But whom God wants to save. Who is a potential, not just creation of God, but child of God. God, may we never put our, our gourds before souls. May we never put ourselves before your mission, your calling. May we never get so comfortable in our own salvation that we hoard it for ourselves and don't share it with others. And God, begin in me. Change me. Lord, may every prayer in this room be, change me. We can all think of people that need to be changed. But if we focus on ourselves, and God, we will be a church that is powerful for you. Powerful in your kingdom. We will have people coming, giving their hearts to Jesus. We'll have these baptismal waters stirred weekly because we care more about everybody else than we do ourselves. May that be our prayer. May that be our reality. God, chip away at our resistance. Chip away at our pride. Chip away at our arrogance chip away at our sinfulness and replace all that with a heart soft for the lost that is willing to say whatever it takes I'll go may that be our prayer tonight thank you for your word that continues to speak thousands of years later because you know you set it up that way and you're God and we're not thank you for your son that saves us we pray these things in Jesus name amen